So right now, ladies and gentlemen, it is star time. And we would like to bring to you the stars of our show. The fabulous, the insurmountable, the incomparable, the mighty, mighty... Sheets Movement Family. Family. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give them a great round of applause. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Cheats Movement Podcast. I am joined by a very special guest who is giving us some time, Mayor LeVar Stoney. Welcome back. I mean, you are basically a Cheats Movement regular at this point. But uh, welcome back to the uh, welcome back to the podcast. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Cheats. Thank you for having me back, brother. Now, let's start with because last time we talked, it was about a week before uh, Election Day. Mm-hmm. A lot of predictions going rampant, a lot of different things being tossed around. Election day, though stressful, and you and I'm sure you had to do a lot of work. Yep. The result ended that night. It ended on election night. You seem, mm-hmm. you know, you wound up with what six out of nine? Yep, six out of nine. So I know we've talked uh, off the record since then, and one of the things that you actually interestingly said was you learn something from every election cycle. Mm-hmm. Every election cycle, you learn something new about the city, about yourself. What did you learn in this last race going through this particular election cycle? Uh, what I learned, I mean, when we talk about politically or what I, some personal. Whatever you feel yeah. is the best. I mean, because I'm sure you learned a lot about both. But so, what, do you, what do you think comes to mind first? So first, that. Richmond on social media is not Richmond in real life. That's this is where we're starting. <laughs> this, this is this is where we're going. No, I'm just saying you're, you're really like okay, okay, go with it. Go with Richmond it. on social media is not Richmond in real life. Go with it. Continue uh, on. What a, do you what do you mean? A, a a I mean I stay off of it, but what drives clicks and retweets and likes and whatnot on social media? isn't what everyday Richmonders are necessarily caring about. Okay. And I think that was also reflected in the demographic uh, turnout as well. Uh, My coalition, my broad coalition this time, at the center of that broad coalition was the black vote in the city, black Richmonders showing up in in, uh, wards six, seven, eight, nine, Fourth, as well, uh, they you will not see that on social media every every single day. But these are voters, and sometimes social media can drown out what I think everyday Richmonders may may be thinking about their government, about their uh, quality of life, and so uh, you know I think that played itself out, and. Uh, I learned something about myself as well, that, you know, uh, before being a, a candidate in 2016, remember, I've never run for office before. I've always advised other candidates, I manage races and whatnot, but also shows that there's some, you know, what got me here in real life in terms of like, you know, what got me here throughout my life, being a resilient individual from my, you know, from, from the way I grew up, my, my, my raising, I, I, that I still, you know, you still have to be resilient to, to be the leading in these, these sort of times, particularly during the tumultuous year we had in 2020. So I learned that about myself that, you know what, 
Uh, you just got to power through. You're going to have some 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 tough days in, in, in leadership. You just got to power through. Was there any particular time during the cycle in particular or maybe even the year that you might have questioned that about, you know, you question yourself, question like, oh, yeah, is this the right thing to do? And you kind of hear it because one thing about public office, the the criticisms are magnified. Yep. The praises, even if you get them, you tend to be like, okay, let's just move on. Yes, but the criticisms right. you have to focus on. So obviously this year has been unlike any other. 2020 has been unlike any other. But what, you're, what I'm hearing from you, and maybe you can elaborate on this, because there's a lot of people going through difficult times personally, and they're discovering yep. new things about themselves. Was there a time this last year where you had to kind of dig deep and say, okay, this is who I am at my core? That's right. Uh, the month of June was the, the toughest month of my career. My professional career, June was that was that month, and I mean we can go through chronologically what went, what happened in June. We don't have to do that today, but June was the toughest month, and it was uh, it was very challenging. It's so challenging that you know I have family who who still watch out over uh, they watch out over me from afar. They may not all live. My family doesn't live in the city, but they're in Hampton Roads. I got family in the Pacific Northwest. My brother was concerned for my safety. Uh, he was concerned for my health because he knew I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't eating, um, <laughs> I wasn't hydrating, and he was concerned for my my, my health and my, my well-being. And at one point, I got on the phone with my brother, you know, because he was checking in with me on a regular basis, and he said to me, he said, "Man, I'm looking at all these comments on social media. I'm looking at all this. Why do you want to do this anymore?" He mm -hmm. asked my uncle that, you know, my my father's older brother. He said, why, why does LeVar want to continue to do this? Like, I, I, I just wouldn't do this anymore. Like, just he's, you know, he, he's talented enough. He's smart enough. He can go on and do something else. And I just told him, this is what I love to do. This is what I love doing. Public services is in my, in, in my being, um, every fiber of my being. And he didn't understand that. He didn't understand, I mean, why would you get your be yelled at and be shouted down. Why would you why would you put yourself through all that? And I put myself through all that because I know there's always going to be good times on the other side of the darkest moments, right? Sure. sure. So some people can't see that when they're going through it. I knew there would be better times, better days on the other side of this. It may not happen until 2022 or 2023, but I know there are going to be better days. I'm not a deeply religious person. Uh, I'm, I'm spiritual, but not religious. But there were a number of people from the religious, you know, from the, the faith community who, who reached out to me and, and it's told me that, you know what, like, it's going to get better. It's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, if I didn't have that sort of support, that, that network cheats, I don't know whether or not I would have gotten through it. That's a good point. And let's use some of that, but transition just a little bit, because obviously we're still, I think, in a far distant uh, kind of future, I think we're starting to see that light. But as we speak right now, we are in a very kind of difficult time. And when I think about that, I'm particularly thinking of Richmond and COVID and Virginia and the effects of COVID-19 and the record, record numbers of people we're seeing right through this holiday season, either be infected, go to the hospital or, or suffer a fate that's worse. How, this has actually touched you. You were quarantined not too long ago uh, from exposures and possible exposures. What is the message now as we know that this is getting rougher? We're hearing news about vaccines, yeah. but and, and we know that some people this week 
got vaccine shots. And we'll talk a little bit about vaccines in a second. But what is your message as we speak right now to people in Richmond and people in the Richmond region or people in Virginia? Because this is we're we're in the thick of it right now. And it's getting really close to home if it hasn't hit already. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, before we, we, we started, we started to talk about how I just feel like the walls are closing in on us when it comes to COVID. It's almost like, you know, let me use a football reference here. You're in the pocket and the, 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 the pocket's closing in. The defenders are all around me. They're all around you. And in March, in April, I didn't really know anyone who had COVID, right? It was like, oh, don't know anyone. Now I'm finding my, my I got friends who are having COVID. One of my employees very close to me had, had COVID. I'm having friends' parents pass away because of COVID. Just goes to show for all the misinformation or disinformation that might be out there who say that, oh, COVID's, COVID's a hoax or don't be sheep and all this BS. COVID is real. Real people are losing their lives. Real people are the ones who are paying the price of this, particularly black and brown people. And so you're right. 2020 is the midnight of all years I've ever seen. The midnight of all years. But I do believe that the dawn is on the horizon and there's more hope now than we've had before, but we cannot let down our guard. And what I've been seeing is people are letting down their guard a little bit because they think, oh, Moderna, oh, Pfizer, we're going to have this vaccine before you know it. So I might as well go out there and just do as I please. Right. And yeah, that, no, that's, that's I, my, my, my biggest fear is that people will actually get the vaccine and then start wilding and thinking that, they can't transmit it to other people or That's thinking right. that they're immune all of a sudden to the point where, um, and what I, I mean, I hate to pull out my, my cheats critical hat here, but my, my fear is that even people that get the vaccine, if they're going to be irresponsible, they're going to hurt other folk or something's going to happen That's and right. they're going to, there's going to be some distrust and say, Oh, I got the vaccine, but I still got it. Well, it's, I don't know if this thing is a hundred percent, you know what I mean? So but that brings up a, a, a couple of questions, and I do want to ask you. You are obviously the mayor of the city of Richmond. Um, obviously, you're in relatively good, good shape. But when it comes to a vaccine, I've heard a lot of different things, different information, people saying that they don't want to take it. I think you were asked on a debate stage, would you take it? And it, it might have depended on the person saying to take it. At this point, are you comfortable taking a vaccine? Will you take it? Do you know when you're in the schedule? Yes, I'm comfortable with doing so, uh, and I will do so. And I think on the debate stage, I said something like, if, if, if it's Trump, you know, saying, like, go out there and take it, which actually he's been quite absent from the conversation recently. You got Mike Pence who went out there and actually uh, received a vaccination. You didn't see President Trump. And you got Biden doing it this coming week as well. Uh, I'm going to take it uh, because because Fauci signed off on it. Mm -hmm. And if, if Dr. Fauci's doing it, he's not being silenced at all. Uh, I think for me, that's the sort of validation I need to move forward. And so uh, obviously I want the healthcare workers to receive it first, the frontline workers, obviously seniors as well, those who are in the most vulnerable category. And when the health department says uh, they need me to do it, I will roll up my sleeve and do it live uh, so that folks know that uh, this is something that we all have to do because this is still Wearing the mask, the social distancing, the staying at home, the washing of the hands, and now getting the vaccine. It's all about the, the, the this is the different parts of this greatest project we've ever participated in. Mm -hmm. And we all got to do our part. But here's the thing. I understand the reluctance. Mm 
I understand the hesitation because it's been black and brown people who have been uh, the, the injustices have been inflicted upon them in the healthcare system, in the mm. medical world, right? And so I understand folks are like, I don't know about that. I, 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 I text message with a young man who I met through RPS, who I continue to help mentor or whatnot through, through his time um, at Virginia Union. And I said, yeah, man, just trying to get this vaccine out to all these, all the folks here in the city. And he, he said, man, I don't know about no vaccine, brother. I said, what do you mean by that? What's it going to take for you to get the vaccine? He said, them lab results. I need to see the lab results. So, yeah, other people. I think. I mean, I think that natural, and I think, like you said, it's natural um, amongst people that have historically been experimented on, right? right. And so we've got, we've got to understand that. I, I am not as, um, I'm not as hesitant to take it, but uh, obviously I, I, like you said, I don't know when my opportunity will be to do so. Um, and until that day, I will be extremely vigilant about, you know, staying away from folks and so forth. Let me ask you this, because it's been a big, big topic, and I know you've talked about it as well. Um, I still ride down Broad Street uh, in a car with windows up, you know what I mean, mask on. But I still see a lot of boarded buildings. I hear the news every, just about every other day, every day that a business, small business has been closing, a restaurant has been closing. Um, COVID has really, really decimated our small business market economy, retail economy and places. And I'm just, you know, people are out there asking, how do we get that back? How do we get, um, you know, the, a, a, a time where downtown Richmond, Broad Street, even the places that may not have been as normally affected, but are affected now because it's been, nine months ish. How do we get our economy in Richmond back and going, especially our small business economy, our minority business economy? How do we get that jump started? Is there, do you have a plan to get a jump started in 21? Well, 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 first Mark, in order to get the economy back, to get our small businesses back, that world, that life back, we have to get a handle on the, on, on the virus. Mm. And that's not just here in the city. That is the, has to be the national strategy. Right. If you want your economy back, if you want the world that you had prior to March back where you can send your kids to school confidently, you can open the doors to your businesses confidently, you can go back to work confidently, then we have to get a handle on the virus. And that means, yeah, the dining rooms may be open at a reduced capacity, but if you want the full world that you had back prior to this, that means you probably should stay home and not be out till 11 o'clock at night or, or past 10 o'clock. Right. I mean, that's part of getting the world that we had prior to this back. Now, the city, on the other hand, we have put over six million dollars uh, into the marketplace to provide for relief to small businesses. Uh, and my heart aches every time I have to read in the newspaper that a business decided they're going to close their doors and that we would not have enough money in the world to save every single business that we have here in the city right now, without a doubt. And that's why I've been ranting and raving as the Richmond Times Dispatch uh, well, put in a headline, I've been ranting and raving about the federal government uh, basically abdicating its responsibility since March. What they did in March in terms of relief package for localities and for individuals and for businesses um, was the right thing to do. Yet they, they haven't done anything ever since and we are, just on the cliff uh, of 
these dollars running out. I'm worried about emergency childcare. I'm worried about, you know, how can we still support some of our businesses moving forward as well? And the city government, we don't have the, the coffers or the capacity to do something like that. Now, in the beginning, we all offered amnesty to a number of our, our businesses, offered payment plans or whatnot. But I think folks don't recognize is when businesses shutter and close or when there's a reduced capacity inside those businesses as well, we see reduced uh, uh, revenue streams as well too. Mm-hmm. And so I have to be prudent. Uh, I would even dare say conservative about our, our projections look like in the next fiscal year and how we finish up this fiscal year. The, the, the end of this fiscal year is gonna be rough because we are in the deep darkness of this disease and this pandemic right now. The next fiscal year uh, beginning July 1 looks a whole lot brighter because by that time, it's my hope that we have more and more people vaccinated and that we can get back to more business as normal. It's just, you're right. I think it's such a difficult uh, thing to assess. You did mention uh, slightly that it really is affecting the, the budget, right? That's fu- affecting city services um, as well. I know people are feeling that. How are you kind of guaranteeing during this really tough time that city services are still moving along? Like, I mean, and city workers are being protected as best they can. That's right. Uh, obviously, the health and well-being of my employees is of my utmost priority for me. And unlike some other localities, we have not had to lay off or fur- furlough employees. I just read the other day that Norfolk has uh, cut 57 employees, a lot of them black and brown residents of the city of Norfolk. Uh, I-, I refuse to, uh, to cut my residents loose in this most difficult time. Right. I don't want to see any of my, my uh, cut my employees losing this most difficult time. I don't want to see them in uh, in lines for at food banks or or just 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 out in the cold. That's something I do not want to see happen. And that's the responsibility of me as the chief executive officer. But I will say compared to other cities, the garbage has been picked up on time. Uh, leave collection is still rolling. Potholes are still being filled. Services are still being provided. Remember, I shut down government essentially for the most part, for maybe roughly a month or two, uh, or have reduced capacity, uh, reduced operations of city government. Uh, we have been up and rolling, and, and my, my employees have been showing up as well. Uh, but, you know, I, I fear uh, if we have reduced revenue streams, meals tax, emissions tax, uh, if, those, if those revenue streams are reduced, then we may have to look at potential cuts in our budget for the next fiscal year or even before we end this current fiscal year, before June 30th? That's a good question. I was going to bring that up specifically, but you mentioned it um, in regards to possible budget cuts. Something that people always ask, and every time we talk about a budget, we talk about two things, right? Cuts and you know, new revenue and yeah. ways to d- develop new revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I hear all the time about uh, kind of city assessments, uh, you know, trying to figure this thing out. If it's going up, if I'm being taxed through the roof, does 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 Sony look at ways of getting more revenue by increasing taxes uh, th- as we go into the future? Yeah. What's your outlook as you look into kind of you have you have four years coming up now? Yeah. As you look into what the city needs to do, mm-hmm. uh, do you see on the horizon any balance of cuts or ways of getting new revenue. Let's talk a little bit about how we get that in there to support city services. Yeah, let's, let's get into it a little bit because you're right. Uh, this is a debate that the city's been having year after year after year after year, particularly when they look at what the way they are taxed 
and the services they receive compared to their counterparts in the counties, in Rico and Chesterfield. So let's dig a little bit deeper. First, I have nothing to do with one's assessment. There's an assessor who reports to the city council who, 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 who handles all of that. The city government, uh, us, this administration, we have nothing to do with that. Now, we we do set the tax rate, right? $1.20 per 100 on your real estate taxes. Yeah. But guess what? The real estate tax rate has not been touched in over a decade. And it's at the lowest real estate tax rate in the city's history, in the city's history. Now, when people say, oh, my assessment's been going up, the assessment, your assessment likely has been going up because the value of your home is rising as well. So as the value of your home rises, your assessment goes up. And does people that, say, why does is that my assessment? Does that price people out of the city? Well, let me, let me get to that. When people okay. say my assessment goes up, why is my assessment going up? Your value is going up. And why is my value of my value is going up? Because the demand for property, demand for homes in the city is very, very high. And guess what? The supply is very, very low. Well, I don't want to cut. I don't want to interrupt, but I want you. But because we hear we hear this, and and I understand supply and demand. Is that affected by prospectors, people that aren't really caring about the neighborhoods of the city, but want to come in, get hot property, and flip them out? I'm sure that that's part of the. Uh, that's not the only thing, but I'm sure there's a, there's a number of different factors that are involved. Supply and demand is one of them on why the property values are going up and why your assessment's going up as well. So is there some way, because here's what pulls at my heartstrings, and I'm sure it pulls at yours too, because I, I know you. I know, I know you mm -hmm. well enough to know. If I've got, say, my grandmother, Vivian Cheatham, on, in Highland Park in Northside, I've been in her house since I was born or older, and this is 50-plus years. If she, if she can't afford to live there, not because of people that want to live in Highland Park, but people want to flip Highland Park. Mm -hmm. How, is there is there anything that we can do to look at that and protect those individuals? Well, the, the one thing we have in place now for people like Miss Vivian is, you know, we have uh, tax relief programs for the elderly, tax relief programs and for veterans rates, I mean, as well. At the time, she rates all. Yeah, so yeah, we have that. But I think folks are looking to go beyond that. And, and, and what I've discussed with members of the General Assembly before, because guess what? Us being a Dillon rule state, I right, didn't get permission right. from the General Assembly to even touch uh, tax policy uh, or change tax policy. What I would love to do one day is to lock Miss Vivian in at a rate like a rate where she may be at today or rate she was maybe at two or three years ago and have her pay that. And as the rate goes or as the assessment goes up, right, lock her in her, her assessment from today or two years ago as the assessment goes up, that, that, that delta is paid for by somebody else when they want to, when she wants to sell that house to someone or maybe even give it to someone of her, one of our heirs that 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 deferral is covered somewhere just like a just like what they would do in a city like philadelphia mm -hmm. okay interesting interesting and i know you uh, have some plans that i don't specifically know about but i know you have some plans to address what we call the affordable housing shortage in the richmond yes. in the region um Affordable housing has been a topic probably since before you take an office. These are all things that, you know, we've talked about at Nuance for years and years and years. However, uh, what is your outlook as we move forward now, again, with kind of this new outlook that we have on, on how do we expand the affordable housing base? How do we get more mixed use housing? How do we improve the housing stock uh, in the in the city? Absolutely. Uh, Mark, in 2018, I made a pledge that we were going to work with our private partners, 
uh, and others uh, to, to build uh, 1,500 affordable units in the city of Richmond uh, by 2023. That was a five-year goal, build 1,500 units. Uh, we surpassed that goal uh, as we entered the calendar year 2020. And by the time we close things out here on December 31st, we will have created 2,000 uh, new affordable uh, housing units in the city of Richmond. And affordable housing, obviously, we always get, you know, what's the definition of affordable housing? Right, it gets a it's nuanced thing. That's, yeah, sure. 80% of the average median income down to, you know, 20, 30%. That's what we've created over the course of the last, uh, last few years. What we need to do, though, Mark, is we need to create a thousand new units a year for the next decade to keep up with the demand and also provide the supply that's well, we are undersupplied in terms of affordable housing. Right now, 45 percent of Richmonders today spend more than 30 percent of their uh, annual income on housing in Richmond. Mm -hmm. To me, that eats away at our competitive identity. You and I both know uh, people in our peer group and younger. Uh, uh, who came to Richmond because it was affordable. We are losing that competitive edge with other cities because now we, we, are, we, have not, uh, we have not kept pace with the growth and also the housing. And so you're gonna see from me, uh, I'm gonna be bullish on growing the city, growing into our new identity as well. Uh, we need more housing, period. And that's why I'm, I'm very grateful for the support of the city council and the passage of Richmond 300, our guide to growth. Let that be our guide to, to moving Richmond forward in terms of not just in population, but also just growing into the what I believe is our new identity. You know, we were the capital of the Confederacy. Now we have to, we have to create a new identity for ourselves, a place that's more welcoming and more inclusive. And as we do that, I guarantee you, we're gonna attract even more people to the city of Richmond. So as we grow, we cannot forget about the folks, the Miss Vivians in the world who've been here from day one. They gotta be protected in the growth process as well. So let me ask you this because- Oh, and can I add one thing, Chief Smith? Oh, yeah, yeah. Back, brother. No, no, uh, no, go ahead, go ahead. The, the city council today uh, passed out of committee my uh, legislation on an affordable housing trust fund uh, dedicated funding stream. Remember abatements? Abatements was used to actually uh, re revive the city uh, after the 90s, right? Well, those abatements are, are, are expiring, are winding, are winding out. Let's use the dollars that roll off of those abatements and push that into the Affordable Housing Trust Fund that allows us to incentivize uh, the affordable housing growth in the city moving forward. And that's why I hope the city council will approve in their next upcoming meeting. Um, okay, oh, that's a good point. Um, Speaking of city council and, and speaking of the school board as well, I just saw this week you did have another education compact meeting, right? Um, and, and as we saw on the video, some chose to participate, some did not. As you, as you look into kind of this new, your second term and new faces on city council and new faces on the school board, how do you, what, what's your outreach effort to see if you can get people on the same page um, get people kind of locked up and moving to, to make sure that the city, not to say there won't be robust debate, but how do you start off the year saying, hey, we have a, we have a new opportunity to get everybody on the same page. How do we move the, the ball forward? You know, I'm very optimistic about this, uh, this next city council um, because I know a lot of the, the, the members 
Most of them would say it is a stony friendly, especially city council. Well, we'll see. <laughs> okay. The, the okay. proof will be in the pudding. Okay. The proof will be in the pudding. True. I mean, true. true. The proof will be pudding. What, what I've told Dr. Newbill, and, uh, who's the current president of the council, that uh, don't be shocked. I plan on keeping you all busy over the course of the next four years. Mm-hmm. And it will be in, in rapid succession as well. I plan on keeping you busy because we got a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work to do. And I, I believe in making hay while the sun is shining. And I think the sun will be shining on the city of Richmond at, at the start of 2021, without a doubt. Two uh, big things I want to ask you about, because I know uh, we're, we're running short on time. Um, one is just a personal uh, thing that has, I just want to see if we can get it done. And I want to get it done sometime in the future. And I'm talking about the Richmond Flying Squirrels. I'm talking about the Boulevard. And I want, like, I understand. I, I know, and I, I don't even want the knee-jerk reaction. I wrote a knee-jerk reaction when I saw Henrico, um, yeah. where, I, where I live, where I'm in Henrico. And, um, this, you know, the, the deal that they're trying to put together for the arena. I, 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 I figured what your knee-jerk reaction is to that. My immediate attention flipped to... Um, what are we going to do on the boulevard, Arthur Ashe Boulevard? How are we going to ensure that Richmond keeps uh, or, or maintain uh, the presence of minor league baseball? The Richmond Flying Squirrels have been a wonderful partner I think, for a decade now. Um, I have, as a growing up a Braves fan, I have grown to really love what the Squirrels have bought to yeah. uh, to the city and the energy. Is that something that is on your radar as we speak for immediate action sometime in this next year? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Give me some good news. Break some news. What are we going to get it done? It is, it is on the radar. And here's the thing. Um, when uh, I, I heard about the Henrico announcement, uh, I called some of the members of city council uh, and said, um, let this be a lesson learned. Because uh, there were some who said, <laughs> well, I say, <laughs> I wrote about it. I wrote about it on the Chiefs move. My, I, I my, saw, but let this be a lesson learned. That my read is uh, it's a different deal in Henry. It's not a different merits of a deal. My read is it is uh, there are different players in Henrico than there are in the city. There was much more opposition in the city, a much more uh, active, if you will, citizenry that felt has felt scorned. Uh, I won't get into my thing. You can read it, but I, I don't necessarily know. I know a lot of people were like, hey, man, told you. I don't necessarily feel that way, but I also feel like we have an opportunity to keep the squirrels. Like, True. Okay, go ahead. I, I go ahead. The fundamentals of the deal of the opportunity in Henrico are the same as the one in Richmond. I the give you that. Uh, yeah, I wrote that. Yeah, I agree. The fundamentals are the same. Mm-hmm. Fundamentals are the same. Okay. Uh, but we luckily in the city of Richmond, we got even more opportunities, right? And I think at the top of that list is the opportunities of the city-owned properties along Arthur Ashe Boulevard. And um, we've been waiting for what's going to happen with the ABC property. We know what happened to the ABC property owned by VCU now. Now, uh, I think we have to use uh, the city-owned property around Arthur Ashe, downtown, Fulton Gas Works, all these places as an economic stimulus for the city. If you want to, if you want to recover out of this deep dark hole we found ourselves in 2020, then we got to get moving. Um, uh, Delegate Delegate uh, McQuinn said it best: either we're going to be on the sideline watching, 
while other folks around us grow or we're going to get the doing. I, I believe we got to start doing. And while we do, any sort of economic development in the city must mean economic justice. Bottom line, hard stop. I understand the hard stop. That still doesn't answer my question. Are we going to get baseball? Or is baseball going to stay? Baseball staying get- in Richmond. All right, baseball is staying in Richmond. I mean, I understand. I, I get it. But I'm just like, yo, I don't need another team leaving. Baseball is staying in Richmond. Announcements to come. Um, the other thing I do want to ask you on, and again, I, I'm very appreciative of the time that you've offered and, you, and, and the candor that you've offered as well. Um, we're moving forward. I think I saw an announcement in regards to city council has some votes on citizen review board, yep. like the people, not the actual board, but the people that are going to put the guidelines and maybe select the people that are on the board. Um, and I know obviously this past year in regards to RPD, uh, dealings with RPD and the citizens of, uh, of Richmond in particular, um, there was a lot of tension there for, for yeah. several months. Yeah. Um, there's still probably a lot of lingering effects of that tension. Um, how do you, with, I guess, Police Chief Smith, correct me if I'm wrong, right. Police Chief Smith, how do you and Police Chief Smith do the work that is required as we go into this, to go into your second term? Uh, and if Smith is is ultimately the, the guy that's riding with you, right? You know, how do y'all go about doing the work to ensure that citizens of Richmond feel um, that the police are an asset or someone that can help? Because it's in certain pockets, it's a tough sell to say, hey, look, I even want police around. How do you go about doing that work and moving forward? What plans do you have to work on the relationship between RPD and citizens of Richmond? Uh, first, you know, Smith is my guy. I'll be riding with Smith uh, all the way through uh, my four years. And so Smith is my guy. He's my guy because uh, he's a change agent and he's a, he's a reformer. And that was sort of the um, the necessary boxes that needed to be checked for me for any chief that I was going to hire. And uh, he, he he believes in it. And now we need to put those that belief into action. Uh, and I, I think we have a roadmap for that. And that roadmap comes from uh, the task force of reimagining police, uh, p- public safety in the city. And uh, the one thing that I think we could all agree on that uh, public safety, community safety is different for different people in, 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 in Richmond. And what I heard from folks on the campaign that's trail- a, That's a bad thing, right? Shouldn't it be the same from across the board? Exactly right. Exactly right. It should be the same across. You, you, I was about to get to that next point right here to kind of. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm kind of quick. I'm kind of quick. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. You're like go that ahead, commercial with Kyler Murray and Tebow. I'm just like, can, can I? My bad. My bad. But no, but what I heard on the campaign trail, though, was that when I talked to uh, brothers and sisters in the East End and the South Side, they said, Mr. Mayor, I didn't say I didn't want the police department. We need the police department. All I want is the same police department that shows up in the West End to show up in the East End as well. And I don't feel we get that today. And so I think the roadmap through the uh, reimagining public safety task force gives us that, that policing uh, public safety is a whole lot more complex than the police showing up at every single thing. We got to do a whole lot more on uh, transparency, on how we communicate and engage with the public as well, to to earn that trust from the public too. And uh, we got to do a lot more on the way we train our officers to respond to certain situations and understanding that we don't need officers to respond to everything. We recognize that. Do with that, is there 
I, and I guess this will come through some of the work in the task force, but will there be a push to have more first responders, mental health officials, those type of things in situations where you say the police probably shouldn't have to respond to someone yeah. uh, in those situations? Those are all of those things are on the table yeah. or will be on the table. Yeah, we are committed to that. You know, I, I'm a supporter of the, the Marcus Alert. I'm glad to see that Governor Northam signed the bill the other day. So we're going to work within the parameters of the of the legislation that was uh, agreed to and approved by the General Assembly. And we're going to create that sort of uh, response that isn't uh, necessarily a police response, right? We can get mental health clinicians, behavioral health workers to be out there uh, and respond to certain situations. That's what we want to create that sort of community safety. All right. Last thing. Tell me what I need to know or what I should know about the city's role and whatever upcoming casino activity will be happening in Richmond. So um, I am very confused and I, and I find my, I find myself trying to read and understand this. I get very confused confused if is this a city thing is this a federal thing is this a native american reservation mm -hmm. announcement how, how how much does the city have involved in this where are we down the line what's what's the deal what should people know about casinos yeah. referendums who's in who's in control there there is some confusion out there okay uh because i think the first potential casino operator introduced to the public was the Pamunkey Indian tribe, right? And the Pamunkey Indian tribe can buy land, put it into trust, and because of the of their recognition as a, as, as a tribe in the Commonwealth, they could, without legislation from the General Assembly, just operate a casino if they wanted to. What the General Assembly has given us an opportunity to do as Danville, Bristol, Norfolk and Portsmouth have done is for us to choose our own operator. Because I believe, I think a lot of people believe, competition is good. And so uh, what we've done is we've begun with the, we're going to do an RFP. We let the survey results that we just uh, acquired uh, to, to actually uh, feed our, our RFP on what people want to see, right? And then from the RFP process, we will choose, uh, select an operator, who, who the operator will select a location where they want to build this, this resort. Once we choose this in the, this individual proposal, we will forward that to the city council and they will choose to either approve it or reject it. If they approve it, it will go to the ballot and the voters will have the final choice on whether or not there'll be a casino resort in the city of Richmond. Now, have you made a statement of whether you think this is a windfall for the city, a good thing for the city, a bad thing for the city? What's your read on? My, my belief is uh, it's an opportunity that I think the city should pursue uh, because we do need revenue, but we should not uh, sell out for revenue at any cost. That okay. means, uh, once again, this economic development opportunity has to mean economic justice for Richmonders. And I'm only going to ask you this because I know you want to talk about uh, justice for all Richmonders. You've actually recently written a letter, I believe, to Governor Northam about the legalization of marijuana. Um, tell a little bit about your kind of how you got to that point, what you, what you were exactly advocating for. I believe one of the first things about the letter was uh, the people that are actually in jail on a 
arrested for marijuana charges yeah. should be those charges should be dropped and people should be released. That's I think that was one of the major parts yeah. of the letter. But in regards to the economic justice piece, just quickly tell the folks what your uh, posture has been and what you want to see done with the legalization of marijuana. I, I've I've always been a definitely a pro decriminalization of of marijuana, uh, but recently uh, I've always you know I'm just going to be just transparent, you know, I've known people who, who use marijuana, uh, before my father used marijuana before. Um, and, uh, I just believe it should be not just decriminalized. Uh, it should be legalized at the end of the day. Uh, it's legalized in states like Colorado and Oregon and Washington. My only problem with legalization was that I didn't see the benefits for black and brown people. Right. We were the ones being locked up for possessing all sorts of amounts of of marijuana uh, and, you know, that basically hanging over our heads for the rest of our lives. I got to see some benefits to black and brown people. And I think Illinois has done it very well in terms of their legalization and then also how uh, black and brown people get a piece of the pie. And so with that should come criminal, some criminal justice reform as well and redemption and forgiveness for those who may have been locked up for uh, possession charges in the past, they should have those charges expunged. I'm also for automatic expungements anyway, but we should definitely specifically expunge uh, for that matter. But also, as we look to the future, we should think about using the revenue that's coming in to fund universal pre-K, not just in the city of Richmond, but in the entire Commonwealth of Virginia. Mayor City, we're gonna have to leave it there. Um... Didn't get a chance to talk about the Knicks today, but that's okay. You know, you know what? I was going to give you an opportunity because I was going to say that I was going to save the hardest question for the last question, and that is, will the Jets win a game? Oh, because you have been real. I'm, no, I'm, no, I'm, oh, I'm you really, flipped I'm on me, get, didn't you? You flipped it on me. I'm going to get real aggressive real quick because you're Nick Slander. I saw on this interview, some other interviews, you've been real loose about the Knicks. Who, me? You. You have been real loose about the Knicks. Me? Yet, the Jets <laughs> cannot win a game to save them. They are snatching victory from the jaws of defeat, or defeat from the jaws of defeat, or whatever victory. it is. <laughs> and you sit there proud of Jets fan, and what are y'all owing oh, Lord knows what? Are you going to win a game? Mark, I saw your negative attack on Facebook the other day. Continue. It was a whole post. Someone, someone, someone said to me, I said, oh my gosh, this is a negative attack. From the media, this is not cool. It will the Nick Slander, you and President Obama, both of y'all, because he's a sad Bulls so fan. The, the, the Jets will not win a game this year, so don't get your hopes up. I do no. watch every game. No, we're you kidding? Are you kidding? And then you know what's going to be great? You know what's going to be great because y'all are all on the whole. Oh, Zion didn't go to New York. Zion didn't go to New York type thing. I understand that. But when Trevor Lawrence looks at y'all and says, you know what? I'm going to stay at Clemson. That's that going to happen. That's going to happen. Don't that's do gonna that. If you, if, you, if, you put that, that, if you put that on I'm, me. I'm already saying it. I'm already I'm saying it. I will say this. If, if Trevor Lawrence does not end up with the Jets, I don't know. I, I mean, we're going to have to make some sort of. You know what? I'm still, I'm still wear my next gear. No matter. We leave meeting right now. Leave meeting. Yeah, we're out of here, man. Hey, happy really, holidays, brother. Happy I appreciate holidays. Appreciate it. You be safe over the holidays. Yep. Uh, happy holidays to you. And we'll talk uh, again, obviously, in 21. But definitely yep. stay, 
stay healthy, stay safe. Uh, make sure you take care of everyone uh, around you. Same to you, brother. Take care. All right, man. Bye-bye. See you. Ladies and gentlemen, that is it. Our interview with Mayor LeVar Stoney. I hope all of you have a safe, safe, safe holiday as we continue on. So I really uh, wish you the best. And until next time, we see it.